Greetings, survivors, and welcome to Mercury, a broadcast of hope. I'm Dr. Rosalind Clark, bringing you day 1001 of our broadcast. If you missed yesterday's broadcast, let me catch you up real quick. Besides being the 1,000th day that we've been on the air, which is in itself is a huge accomplishment that we are immensely proud of, we also made a big announcement. I gave an update on some of the work that I've been doing on zombie biology. The big news? I have determined that it is in fact a protozoan parasite that is causing zombieism. There is still so much to learn before this knowledge has any practical application and I have by no means discovered a cure. What I have done is determine a root biological cause. Today's broadcast is going to be science focused as I tell you about some of the other parasites that are already known to science uh, that have zombie-like effects on their hosts. I already ran this information by Max and Agnes to ensure that the average listener can make sense of the information I'm about to share today. Uh, this is some of the background information that I researched as I explored this idea, stemming primarily from a textbook that Agnes gave me for Christmas. She didn't realize what she was doing when she gave it to me, but that book was the catalyst that launched my thinking in the right direction and got me to where I am today in this work. So, the first parasite that I want to talk about today is completely unrelated to the protozoan causing human zombies, but it is an excellent example of a behavior-modifying parasite. It is a wasp that lays its eggs in a caterpillar. This in itself is unremarkable. This kind of thing happens all the time in nature. It's the behavior modification that occurs because of this that makes it particularly interesting. So after they hatch, the wasp pupa feed on the caterpillar's internal fluids and then emerge from their host and spin a cocoon in which to metamorphosize. At this point, Rather than continuing its own life cycle, the caterpillar stops feeding and moving around about its normal life and instead spends the remainder of its life guarding the cocooned wasps, a behavior that does nothing but eventually kill the caterpillar. But it doubles the chances of survival for the juvenile wasps, guarding off potential predators. This parasite's ability to control the behavior of the host through chemical excretions is an example of how a parasitic organism can take over the life and functioning of its host. Another zombie-like behavior influencing parasite is a fungus that infects tropical carpenter ants. When infection first occurs, the fungal cells float about in the host's bloodstream as individual cells. But then, those cells begin to work together to take over the ant's body and mind. It ends up causing the ant to leave the safety of its colony, climb nearby vegetation until it reach, reaches the height of 25 centimeters. The fungus needs precisely the temperature and humidity of this height to thrive. It then makes the ant chomp down on the plant so that its body remains in position, while the fungus makes its next move. The fungus then begins to grow a stalk up through the ant's head. The ant is no longer alive at this point, and the parasite is using its host for reproduction. The end of the stalk contains a bulb which releases reproductive spores, 
which rain down on the ants below, continuing the life cycle. In this process, which takes less than 10 days, the parasite manages to invade and take advantage of the ant's circulatory system, muscles, and behavior, using them for the parasite's own purposes without destroying the brain until the ant dies. It's fascinating how the parasite moves from single-celled organisms to a functioning colony of cooperating cells within the host as it moves through its life cycle. There are actually several other examples of this type of behavior-controlling parasite that similarly invade the entire host body, including the head, and manipulate the host's behavior, all the while leaving the brain untouched. Which means that there is something very complex going on. The parasitic organism is influencing the brain without actually taking it over. It's using chemical signals to control the host animal's muscles without the consent of the brain. In all of these examples, however, the host organism is still alive. In human zombies, however, the human is clearly dead. If the parasite can control the host's muscles and limbs and so forth without using the brain, then theoretically, the brain can be dead and the rest of the body still at the parasite's disposal as long as the tissues are still alive. Similar to how, how transplanting organs works. While the organ donor may be dead, their organs, which are, which are still alive and functional, can be transplanted into the living recipient. Somehow, though, the zombie protozoan has managed to keep the human body functioning without a living brain. The body is in a suspended state of decomposition, no longer living, but continuing to function under the control of the parasite. I've digressed a little here. Um, I wasn't going to get into the human zombie protozoan just yet. Um, I have several other parasite examples I want to bring up first. Oh, shoot. I'm running out of time for today. Okay, listeners, I'm going to continue with this tomorrow. I know that mind-controlling parasites aren't everyone's cup of tea, so if this doesn't interest you, just skip tomorrow's broadcast because I do want to go over some more of this on the air. It's important. Like I said, I don't have all the answers or a cure or anything, but I have made a very important discovery in this work. So please bear with me for one more broadcast. Oh, hang on. Tomorrow's July 4th. Agnes has something planned. Okay, the next day will have to be my next broadcast on this. Stay safe. Take care of each other.